So many people go from Huntsville Christian Church that they turn us away. And Andy sent me a text message when I was driving. And so I got the message and it said, we didn't have that many people come, right? And you see, the problem with texting and, and technology is it doesn't, um, it, you can't pick up like satire and, and comic relief. There was also a picture that came with that text message. I didn't get the picture until like four hours later when we stopped for gas. And so I saw it just because my phone was my GPS. And so I just saw this thing blip up and it said, didn't get all that many people. And I was like, oh man. And so for like four hours, I was just sad. And then we stopped to get gas and I opened up the message. It had this picture where there's like this wall of almost a thousand boxes and like 30 people from Huntsville Christian Church. And so to that, I want to say well done. And my heart leapt a little bit and I was really excited. And so for all of you who were able to go and do that, thank you very much. Because I know I called Andy later and, and I called him a few names. And I said, because those things don't pick up when you're driving and you just see. I said, Mitzi, what's that say? And I said, not very many people came. I was like, oh. And then I saw the picture and I was like, that Andy rascal. But I called him. I was like, man, he said, Corey, who's, who was the director of that whole program, he was very uh, overwhelmed himself at, at all the people uh, that came from our church to just do that one task. So I just want to say thank you very much. That was awesome. Way to represent and be the hands and feet of Jesus and, and to represent Huntsville Christian Church in our community. It's what we talk about all the time. That's, that is HCC to go. And so before we get started, I just want to say thank you. Um, with that being said, we were in Orlando last week for Thanksgiving. It was horrible. The sun was out. Um, it was warm. I was in a pool for like three or four days in a row. Heated pool, no less. It was great. Um, and one of the things I love about Orlando is that whether you go to an amusement park or not, you get to see fireworks every night. And I love fireworks. And, and, and it happens in like four or five different locations and at different times of the evening, like Fireworks are just a part of the evening skyline in Orlando, and it's one of the things I love about visiting Orlando. I love fireworks. I love firecrackers. I love things that go boom. Like, I just, I like to watch stuff. I, I just, it's great, okay? But have you ever thought about the man who invented dynamite? And you're probably at this point going, what in the world does this have to do with our, our sermon for today? But I'll get there. I was reading an article a few weeks ago about the inventor of dynamite. And the author in the article said this. He wrote, I used to think what a terrible thing was done and what a terrible person it was, the man who invented dynamite. And to invent such a power to be used in war, to be used to bring devastation. He said, later I learned that the man who invented dynamite thought the same thing. And the person who invented dynamite thought of the horror of war and, and he thought of the, the horror of, of what dynamite brought with it and he wanted to make amends any way that he could. And so what he did was he took all the money, uh, all the interest of the money from, from what he has been paid for, for creating dynamite. He took all the interest of this money and he left it to various worthy endeavors. And one of those worthy endeavors is known as the Nobel Peace Prize. Alfred Nobel invented dynamite. I didn't know that. And, and I thought it was ironic that the man who invented dynamite, when he saw the way that the world chose to use that invention, he took the profits from that invention and he used it to, to start this thing that we celebrate even today. And that got me thinking about what Paul said about the gospel. 
Paul said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the word for power in the Greek is the same word that we get our word dynamite. I want to be very clear here. You see, the only power that can blast sin away is the dynamite power of the gospel. Okay? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus has won the ultimate real peace prize. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then Jesus himself clearly communicated not only the inevitability of such treatment, but he spoke of the blessing that would follow when he preached the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. I want to read the whole thing with you. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth And he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He said, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And verse 12 says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, we read these words and we think that was over 2,000 years ago. Persecution like that doesn't happen today. Why would Jesus put peacemakers and those who are persecuted together? Why would he say, blessed are the peacemakers? Why would he say, blessed are those who are persecuted? I think that sometimes the best way to fight persecution is by peaceful living. By peacefully living your life as an act of worship to our God. And I have some stories that I want to share with you that I think will help make this point. And while I do that, I need my two volunteers to come on up. Emily and Autumn, I need you guys, I need you ladies to come on up. This is super easy. You're going to love it. This is probably the most fun thing you've done all week. Okay? Come up, up, all the way, all the way up, all the way up. Yeah. All right. Well, watch that cord. All right, so you're going to sit right here. And while I'm talking, you're just going to blow this up. Okay? Actually, here, you blow that one up. And then, and then you get to sit here and you get to blow that one up. It's easy. See, I told you. So easy and fun. How much fun is that? It's, it's, it's great. All right. So um, think about peacemakers and persecution at the same time, okay? Now, a while back, uh, several years ago, there was an actor. And his name is Jim Caviezel. And he, he played the part of Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. And he spoke at, the, at a congregation uh, for the first, church, first Baptist church in Orlando a while back. And I, and I got to listen to that at, through the powers of the interwebs and stuff. But he admitted that playing the role of Jesus in that film, The Passion of the Christ, has limited his career, saying he has since been rejected in his own industry. Which is funny to me because in Hollywood, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff and be celebrated. But when you tell the story of Jesus's life and and his persecution and his death, he has now been rejected in his own industry. He says he was warned by Mel Gibson that this was a possibility. 
And he responded by saying, we all have to embrace our crosses. Jim Caviezel wasn't surprised by the reaction to the film. He said Jesus is as controversial now as he's ever been. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. And while Jim Caviezel is a, is a follower of Jesus, it was ironically not his personal faith, but his portrayal of our Savior that landed him on the blacklist in Hollywood. Usually, playing at being a Christian elicits an innocuous response at best. Most people just don't even care. It's not until we get real with our faith that we begin to pose a real threat to the status quo. You ladies doing okay back there? Okay, take, yeah, take your time. Now, here's the thing about peace, about being at peace and about persecution. The Christian who is serious about following their Savior can expect nothing less than scorn and disdain from our world. We see that in Jim's life, in Jim Caviezel's life. And you may remember on the first Sunday of this month, I mentioned that, um, that, that the, the first Sunday of November is a day that's set aside to pray for the persecuted church and for Christians around the world. That's why we have this banner up. It says, who will you pray for today? Um, I've got a short video I want to show you. And as you watch this video about persecution and what that looks like to some Christians in India, there's, there's a couple things I want to share with you about this. First off, there's some writing on, don't try to read that because it was really small on the computer screen. And, and so just listen to what's being said and watch our brothers and sisters in Christ and see what they go through on a daily basis. Go ahead and play that video, Kate, if you would. Watch this. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Kadus, 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 the Balfad, Zamina Smanke, Halkamalik, the Shukada, Kates, Piermaka, Kilidi, Tuniman, Zanime, Bakhdia, the Shukada, Kateakada, Subakelia, Kudanda, Kutuniman, Zanime, Baksha, the name Subadi, Satia, Kudanda. I hear this wind so far off in Today in Pakistan, we Christians are second class citizens. Though we have committed no crime, we are ostracized and banished to the lowest place in society. Often we are forced to leave our villages and our own homes. We cannot get good jobs. And we have no voice in government. What is left for us is servitude. Sewage work. Since 
And we know we will never advance. a church, a place where Christians come together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to sing His praise, to study His word. For while our country has turned its back on us, God has not. Sometimes it is not easy. The loss, the injustice. So please remember to pray for us. That we will continue to live together in fellowship. That we will continue to see the joy of the Lord in our lives. And that we will persevere in our faith no matter the cost. And please remember, we are praying for you. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I love the narrator says that they go through those things on a daily basis. As Christians in that country, you're their best second class citizens. They don't get to vote, they get jobs that no one else wants house cleaning or laundry. The one guy was literally cleaning the sewer with a bucket. That's what was happening there, in case you missed it. Um, brick making. And he says, but we have a church. We have a place where we can go. And even though our country has turned its back on us, God has not. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, I think Jesus puts peace and persecution together because what you don't see when you look into these videos, and this came from the voice of the martyrs. If you're ever wondering what, what it's like to be a Christian in other countries, you can go to the, just Google voice of the martyrs. There's some really amazing stories of what people are doing in being the hands and feet throughout our world and some of what they endure and what their families endure. Um, they don't ask for anything except prayer. That they can make it through the next day of, of being persecuted. 
the next day. And, and again, we, we look at, and I'll get into this in a second, but we look at persecution as, as, as something physical, a beating or, or a mocking or, or losing of a job. You don't consider that you've been given a job a form of persecution until the job you've been given is to be the guy. Essentially, he's cleaning out those little blue houses that you see on construction sites without the gloves, without the mask, without the air purifier, without the hose, just with a bucket every day. And then he said, but it's okay. I have a church and a place I can go to worship my God who has not turned his back on me. They're not talking about let's have a revolution, let's go and, and overthrow a government, or let's go do something different. They are peacefully setting an example of who Jesus Christ is. A few weeks ago, I talked about the meek. Blessed are the meek. We saw that right here. Who, who are humbly serving people as a reflection of Christ. At this moment, I just want us to take a, a few minutes and, and we're just going to quietly and silently pray for persecuted Christians around the world. If, if you're with your family, if you want to lead your sons and daughters or your grandkids, if you want to lead them in a prayer, go ahead. But we're just going to take a minute um, and, and just silently ask for strength for our brothers and sisters. Ask for peace so that they can continue to be peacemakers. Ask for what they need. And, and I'll close that out with a moment of, with, with prayer and we'll, we'll continue on. But go ahead and let's just take a few moments. Father God, we pause in this time of preaching and teaching your word so that we may lift up our brothers and sisters around the world who are um, maybe having church in secret right now, who are, who are hiding your word in, in bushels and baskets and passing it around. Uh, Lord, there are so many things that, that take place in your world that, that we don't even really understand, we don't even really know about in the form of persecution of Christians. And so I pray this morning that those who are enduring daily persecution, like the folks we saw in this video, that you would give them strength to endure. I pray, Lord, that you would give them rest in the evening so that physically they can day in and day out endure and have the strength to endure that persecution. I pray that you would give them peace in their hearts. I pray that you would restore them, that their cup would run over, spiritually speaking, that as they come to their churches, the place where they can go and remember that you have not turned your back on us, that you would just fill them to overflowing, Lord. I pray that we would remember to pray for persecuted Christians around the world every day and not just once or twice a year. And Lord, I thank you for hearing our prayers. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is a point that's not missed by Jim Caviezel. He said he has no regrets 
We have to give up our names. This is his quote. We have to give up our names. We have to give up our reputations. We have to give up our lives to speak the truth of Jesus Christ. And he added that he is sure he will receive his reward in heaven and that he's okay with what he's given up. And it's also a point that's not missed by our brothers and sisters in India that we saw in this video. On earth, they may be second-class citizens, but in heaven, they will be honored as children of the king. And sometimes the, the Christians of the first century, they were persecuted for their faith. And, and there are stories today that we can read about in the Bible of many um, it, it, back then, but even today we can read stories of people who are being killed. And uh, I read a story not too long ago where a small church, they, they locked the doors in, in a small community and they just set the whole building on fire and it and burned down. Um, and that, was, that happened maybe six or eight months ago. So these things happen. But the Christian here today in America thinks we're not in danger of those kinds of things. But what we don't think about is that Satan is still busy doing his work. He uses a more sophisticated means of getting the job done. You see, the devil doesn't always use the atheist or the government to persecute a Christian. He uses what I like to call the nominal Christian to do his dirty work. This could be the most insidious of persecutions of all. Sometimes it's also self-persecution that he uses. Are you guilty of that? Do you get, do you get, on, get down on yourself? You make a mistake and you get down on yourself. I want to share something with you. These are the words from a Christian who became an addict and spent about 20 years of their life living their life like the prodigal son. Listen to this. It, but, and, and they made the choices they made because this person believed the lies that Satan told her as a young Christian woman. This, and I call this nominal Christianity. Satan, she believed the lies that were told about herself. And this is what she wrote to me in a letter. She said, shame always creates a screen to keep me from being who I really am. The danger of isolation is much greater than the risk of intimacy. Is it safer to come out from behind the screen and be seen as who you really are than to hide behind an image of what you want people to think you are? While you slowly die inside. Secret spots. Secret insecurities. They cause me to stay behind in performance and in profession. So much shame that it keeps me from the presence of God who is willing to take it all away. The leprosy of my heart. I went numb. I lost all ability to feel. And then I was touched by a Savior who could feel for me. And then... The letter transitioned very quickly. And it simply said, beach balls. One thing I learned to appreciate from beach balls. They're red, they're orange, they're white, they're blue. Is people can actually see things different from each other and both still be right. Look at the Gospels, for example. I'm adding this part. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all wrote about the same person from different sides. And they were all right. They were all correct. Therefore, when I have a conflict, I'm back into the letter, when I have a conflict or a disagreement with someone or myself, instead of going to drugs, I start asking myself questions. And I think that these questions, I'm adding this part into the letter, I think that these questions from a, a Christian addict can help us avoid persecuting others and ourselves because I think that sometimes when it comes to persecuted we persecute each other 
I always joke around and say Christians are really good at shooting their own wounded. We have to stop that. We have to stop shooting ourselves also. We can't. Here's what it says. what I think. The first thing that this person wrote to me is a Christian addict. And this is advice from a Christian addict to you on how to avoid persecuting yourself and others. First one, what's going on in their world at the moment? Because you see, if we're not careful in terms of communication from our perspective, all we're going to see is, is blue and white and orange. We're not going to see white and red and white. The second one is, as I'm taking time out to see their side of their issue, or their side of the beach ball, if you will, what are their issues? What are their needs? What are their concerns at the moment? We don't pause long enough to see what's causing some of the pain that we see in people. What's the real issue? The third one is this. What's important to them at this time? Do they need a good listening to? Do they need support? Maybe they need a time out. They just need time alone. Do they need to just need do they just need to know they're being understood? A little encouragement to feel valued and appreciated from me. She wrote this, I don't know about you, but I've never heard anyone say, you know what my troubles are? I've had too much encouragement today. The fourth one is, am I listening to understand or am I listening to defend? Same thing. That's a pretty white and orange beach ball. No, it's it's red and blue and white. No, it's, it's orange and white. Sometimes we listen to defend. We listen to it rather than listen to understand. And here's the thing. Sometimes we are the strongest persecutor of ourselves and others when we don't listen to understand. And while Christians, we don't fear the rack or the torture chamber from days of old, but for some reason we fear being called a religious fanatic. We object to being called a fanatic. Maybe many people would rather endure a whip to the back than to be called a Jesus freak. Modern day Christians escape all this by pretending to be less religious than we really are. We can't let anyone at the office know or at the workplace or at the, at the game or at school, we can't let them suspect that we are indeed saints concealing our true identity as a way of life for a lot of Christians. Actually, it's, it's not a way of life, it's a way of death. That's what she wrote to me. See, this is someone who concealed who she really was by drugs and alcohol abuse for over 20 years. And she said that that kind of concealment is not a way of life, it's a way of death. That kind of conviction will eventually dry up and die. And she said to me, I would rather be known as a Jesus freak than an addict. I've been dead for 20 years. I will live the rest of my life alive. It's true. When you refuse to engage in certain activities because you're a Christian, some people are going to sneer at the moment. But deep down inside, they're going to respect you for your stand and maybe even wish they had. The person who wrote all that was my sister. We had some really good conversations this week. And that was one of the things that she shared with me is, is that she is far from perfect, okay? But she said, I, would, I will not live the rest of my life being dead inside. I'm going to live my life being alive for Christ. She's got a long way to go. That's me judging her. <laughs> she said that while we 
She smoked cigarettes and cussed. <laughs> she only cussed when it was emphatic, when she had to get the point across. I was excited. It was a great conversation. And she's right. She's, she's like, I'm going to stand with my family. She's trying to put her family back together. And she's engaging in this. And she's like, you know what? I, I drew some lines. And, and I said, why'd you draw those lines? And she said, well, I came to Orlando and hung out with you and Dylan for a few days and his band and his friends. And she was like, and I realized that's where my family need to be headed in that direction. And after I saw her a few months ago in Orlando, she started drawing these lines in her family. She said, they don't understand it. She said, so for Thanksgiving dinner, I'm letting them know that it's time to understand and that, that I'm no longer a second-class citizen because I'm a convict or because I'm an addict. I'm a daughter of the king, and jokes are going to stop, and the way we look at other people are going to change in my family and in the homes that I go into. And I thought, blessed are the persecuted. Sometimes we don't even know that we're persecuting people because we love to say things like, no offense. <laughs> Bless your heart. It's too late. You said the words. Saying no offense doesn't make it less offensive. Here's the thing. We need to remember what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance. Persecutions and sufferings such as has happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. And this is a great part right here. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I shared that with my sister because it was part of my sermon. And she said, yeah, I get it. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We need to take comfort in Paul's words. He lived it. He listed just a few places where he's been persecuted, where he's been attacked. And, and, and he, he lived it. And he knew what Jesus meant when Jesus said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets, that were before you. I want to close out by reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12 again. We've studied it all month. I want to challenge you to, to read it some more and think on these things. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Say these with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. Do you believe that? Say this with me. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Sorry. <coughs> Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As we come to our response time, I have to confess to you that this series has messed me up in a good way. I have uh, been challenged by each of these Beatitudes, and, and I've, I think I've been kind of transparent and, uh, and sharing that with you all uh, throughout this month. And, and at the end of the day, all I can tell you is rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. It's greater than any struggle that you may endure here on earth. It's greater than any persecution that you'll endure here on earth. Our reward is greater than any addiction that we will battle. Our reward is stronger than any leprosy that has crept into your heart. Maybe it's anger, malice, gossip. Sitting and listening to my sister and sharing with her this past week has encouraged me. She isn't perfect. She's far from it. She knows it. But she is living with her struggles. And I told you all last week, when we live with our struggles, what I tell you, does my heart good to see you struggle. She's honest with what they are. How about you? Are you honest with your struggles? Are you ready to admit to God what you struggle with? See, that's part of the problem. Persecution comes into our life, but we don't admit to God what it is we struggle with. We, We can't have the peace. Are you ready to ask Him to help you to be poor in spirit? Are you ready to mourn for your addiction? Are you ready to ask Him to help you be meek? Are you willing to ask God to help you hunger and thirst for His righteousness first? Are you ready to be merciful? Are you ready to work for peace? Are you ready to endure persecution no matter what it is? Because if you're ready and willing to do these things every day, great is your reward in heaven. I don't know what that looks like for you today, but Will you stand and sing our response song with us this morning and respond to God's word accordingly? morning and uh, to worship with you, to share from God's word, to challenge you. But now it's time for us to go to win and commit to grow. As you do that, reflect on the Beatitudes and decide today how you can be a blessing to others. We live in a world where we can be anything we choose to be. So I want to challenge you to choose to be a blessing to others first and you will indeed be blessed. Will you sing this last song with us? morning.